Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop. This is The Athletic Football Show. Welcome back. I'm Dane Brugler, joined as always with NFL.com's Lance Zerline. This is the Athletic Football Show. We're uh, we're a week away from the draft, and I think uh, a lot of people are uh, ready for the draft to be here, ready, ready for it to start. I think uh, that's how Lance and I are thinking right now. Uh, but we're almost there today. We want to hit on more of uh, some philosophies when it comes to the draft, uh, especially the smoke screens. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, the best positions this year. We can talk about uh, power ranking those. Uh, that should be a, a good conversation. But, you know, let's start with uh, the concept of smoke screens, Lance. And uh, I, I want to get your opinion on this basic question. Do you think smoke screens are created by teams as they try to manipulate where others think they will do? Or do you think that smoke screens happen more out of pure happenstance where everyone's guessing and, you know, a team's doing their due diligence and all of a sudden, uh, you know, rumors start. Um, so basically, are smoke screens more on purpose or are they a creation of all the guesswork from fans, media, other teams? I think it's a combination of both. And I think my guess is you think the same thing. Um, there are, you know, I think it gets thrown out there far too often by fans who every time it, we have anything that comes out that's new, uh, closer to the draft, it's up. It's the season for smoke. It's smoke yeah. screen season. And I, I have a decent feel. I've been doing this long enough. I know when I'm talking to people that I might be getting that from and, and the ones I, I mean, most of the people that I talk to, it's not for public consumption anyway. It's for background. So a lot of times if I've got something that I think is worthy, I'll throw it out there. If I think it's a rumor, I let people know it's a rumor. But I think uh, what happens is a lot of people will assume anything that comes out now is the smoke screen. People throw it in a general bin, and that's just not accurate. I mean, there are some – now, you Malik Willis at two for the Lions. I don't know. That could be a smoke screen. That, that's something that feels new. Um I don't think they like Thibodeau, for example. So I think they would draft Trayvon Walker, they being the Lions. Um, I feel like it would be a defensive end, but then again, we keep putting quarterback, a lot of us, at 32, the Lions, because it gives you a, a five-year commitment. Uh, instead of four, you have the five years to work with. So, you know, you say, okay, well, what if the Lions trade back from two? Trade from two to, you know, from, from two to, to five, Mm-hmm. With the Giants, well, what if they go from two to to seven? Well, then Malik Willis could easily be in play, so maybe it wouldn't be a two. Maybe it'd be at the later one. Maybe they would say, I'm going to draft Malik Willis. I had Rudy – so a guy named Dennis Lindsay, who was the GM of the uh, Utah Jazz and president of the Utah Jazz for years. I knew him when he was with the Houston Rockets with Rudy Tomjanovich, and and uh, he was he was in the front office there. And he talked about how Rudy Tomjanovich, who won two world championships with the Rockets, his draft philosophy was if you – and I think this is really the draft philosophy of a lot of NFL people. A lot of us get caught up – when I say us media fans – get caught up in trying to 
get too picky, like trying to knit, trying to get just the perfect fine amount of, you know, value out of a pick. If you like a, a player, Brian Billick once said this too. If you like a player at 13, you better like him at three. If you right. like a player at 23, why not like him at, at three? Because if you draft a quarterback in the first round, the clock is ticking on your on your job, period. So if why nitpick it? Rudy Tomjanovich once said, if you like a player, take a player. You can't get too caught up in exactly where you're going to draft that player. So if you like Malik Willis, this is true. If you like Malik Willis in the first round at 32, for example – you can get fired with the 32nd pick the same way you can get fired with the third pick. What's the difference? And the same way is a guy can turn you into a really good team yeah. with the third pick versus 32nd pick. Yeah, and, and it's tough uh, because I think, you know, in a situation like that, it also factors in, uh, you know, who else is going to be available for you. Um, you know, you, you try not to get cute, when, especially when it comes to the quarterback, but you – the name of the game with the draft is all about value, right? And so if you feel like you could get a certain quarterback at 32 as opposed to two or even trading back from two, then is that the right course of action or is it just take the quarterback no matter what and then whatever falls to you at 32 falls to you? And so I, I think there's different lines of thinking there that make sense. Um, you know, it's it, you have to kind of... Uh, predict how that's how that's all going to work out um but it's especially this year it's tough because there's draft boards from team to team are always different we know mm -hmm. that especially this year though especially this year when we don't have those uh you know quote unquote elite talents at the top the jamar chases the kyle pitts the, the guys that are, are no-brainers for every single team this year you know even though we see aiden hutchinson as maybe a no-brainer for every single team it's not necessarily the case. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson might be the 10th best player for a team. I, I think that's a realistic, uh, I don't know that, I'm, but I do think that's realistic based off of uh, just how some teams view Aiden Hutchinson in this draft. So it's it, it's really interesting to see how on the outside, we get so locked into, oh, Aiden Hutchinson's locked into the top two picks. Well, I don't, I mean, it, you know, that's, is it really? Is that really how this teams view this? And so, the smoke screens are are interesting because I, I they do make sense from especially teams picking early because you want to get that uh, you know the trade up value right where like say on the on the flip side like last year with the 49ers with the number three pick there's really no reason for them to create a smoke screen at number three when they traded up to that third spot we knew Trevor Lawrence is going one we knew uh, Zach Wilson's going two there's really no reason to create a smoke screen about is it Trey Lance or Mac Jones. But I think all of us on the outside were, uh, you know, kind of looking at it like, oh, well, you know, there's all these connections that say Mac Jones. And then, uh, but Trey Lance might be the better fit for what Shanahan wants to do. And, uh, oh, they're visiting with Mac Jones. You know, I think a lot of it can be those of us on the outside looking too much into the breadcrumbs and trying to make connections. And it, it, it's, it, it does, some of these smoke screens do feel a little fabricated based off of the outside noise not so much what teams are doing. Yeah, and I think that's the real key. Is that, And that's the point I wanted to make is that a lot of times it's your perception that's making it a smokescreen or it's the way the media were run with it. Uh, this is also one of my favorite ones too. Oh, they're just saying that a team's just putting that out there so a player will fall to them. <laughs> a lot of times information that's out there, and it depends on your sources. I trust Dane. I trust my sources. Um, I... 
there are certain people that will get used in the media and there are others I don't think that will be used in the media. Um, some of it depends on the scope of your influence, of course, as well. But I, I used to get some unbelievable information before I started my NFL.com stuff. I mean, I had unbelievable intel because I had friends with NFL teams who would just tell me stuff. And they were general managers, but they were guys who just had great info. And I would get unbelievable information that I would have. It's harder. The higher up you go, it's harder because everyone wants to protect their info. But I will say that I know it's hard to believe, but sometimes teams will give you honest answers. And yeah. like when draft um, – when the draft questions come up, when the teams invariably have their draft session with the media and they answer questions, um, I'm in Houston, so I, Nick Casario is not going to give you answers to anything ever. That's just, I mean, he is right. a word salad machine. But a lot of times over the years, and you go back and double check what happens versus what they said, there are teams that are just honest about what they think. For example, well, what do you think about, what do you think are the strengths of this year's draft? Uh, tackles, wide receivers, and pass rushers. Well, why would a team tell you what they think the strong? There are teams who are going to answer questions honestly. What are your team needs? Everyone assumes that a team is going to lie about what their team needs are, but they generally don't because they, they think that you can just look at the roster and tell yourself. It doesn't mean that they're telling you who they're going to pick, you know, and that's the worst thing you want to do is let a team know, you know, who you want to pick. I think I think there are teams who are really are really, really guarded, and those are the ones who are fearful that it's obvious the position they need. If you if it's obvious a position you need, but then again, you know, Eric DaCosta, we saw just last week where he talked about, hey, you know, we're going to look at offensive tackles. We're going to look at offensive linemen. Well, why would he come out and say that? That's right. a smoke screen. No, he's just being honest with you. He's not telling you who they're going to take or when they're going to take them, but he wants to be honest about the direction of the team because and sometimes they also like getting that messaging out there to agents and the players too sometimes right. that's part of it also but i I'm, I'm to the original question dane and i don't know what your thoughts are i think the smokescreen idea from fans gets i think it's thrown out too often and they give teams too much credit for the smokescreen stuff and then others especially when it's early picks i think are just clearly intended to try and generate trade-up interest. That's all it is. And it's pretty transparent a lot of times. Yeah, no doubt. And I think some of it – let me ask you this question. Do you think that uh, teams will say, – say the Carolina Panthers, for example. They've done work with all these quarterbacks, gone to the pro days, gone to the workouts. They've brought these quarterbacks to the facility. Um do you think that is, you know, uh, do you think teams will do that just to generate interest, uh, even though they have no intention of drafting a quarterback? Or do you think that, uh, do you think that that happens? And do you, do you think Carolina could be doing that as they try to, uh, or, or do you think there's genuine interest there in a quarterback? I think there was genuine interest, but it could get to a point where once they do all their homework, they're not into it. Right. Maybe they bring another quarterback in just to make sure they've hit all the quarterbacks so in case someone wants to trade up. Because there are teams specifically, you know, you have to really be a critical thinker here to try to analyze what will happen because they're a team that has no second or third round pick. It's also a team that needs to win now. The idea of Baker Mayfield going there, a guy with NFL experience, and then drafting an offensive lineman, that makes more sense for a win-now type of attitude that a Matt Rule may have to have if his if his job's on the line, that would make more sense than drafting a developmental quarterback and, with the first round and then having no picks in the second and third round. 
I mean, yeah. honestly, that doesn't sound like something that's going to help you win very many games this year. So, you know, you have to work through everything. Like, so th that's why I think sometimes you just have to do your due diligence. Um, I do think there are other times, specifically when it's quarterback, where a team wants it leaked out there that they're looking at this quarterback because they want to gauge, is there any trade-up interest? It's just this year is probably not a good year to try to trick people because I don't think people value these quarterbacks at that kind of level where they're giving up additional draft capital uh, to get inside the top five picks. I just I feel like that kind of stuff is smokescreen uh, right yeah. now, just to see if there's anyone that will bite. I mean, you got to even if there's no fish, you got to even if the fish aren't biting, you got to throw your line in sometime just in case you hook somebody. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, read a book, show up for a friend, show up for yourself. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Showing up for yourself, that's a big one. That's exactly what therapy is. Doing what you need to do. Carving out the time that you need to make sure that you can show up for yourself and take care of what you need. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash maze today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash maze. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I want to ask you a question, Dane, yeah. about your philosophy. If you were a if you were a general manager, because this comes up all the time when fans get pissed off at mock drafts or whatever, because they don't understand where we're going with certain things. I think fans need to understand that there are philosophies embedded in certain teams and that are prevalent inside the league. Um, I've been told the Texans might not consider, for example, uh, Iki Aquanu or Evan Neal if they consider them to be guards. Uh, Iki Aquano, for example, some teams see him as a guard, more mm -hmm. of a guard than a tackle. Um, and the idea is you don't draft guards that early. Some teams believe you simply don't draft guards that early. They don't have the same value. You don't draft running backs, guards, linebackers that early. What is your, if you were a general manager, to give me your, give me an idea of what your general philosophy would be from prioritizing positions in the first round. How, what would your philosophy be? Are there any hard, fast rules that you would live by? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think that above all, the number one priority needs to be just what the pick needs to be who's going to impact my roster the most, you know, that, that, and that could be so many different answers. Um, so much depends on the makeup of your roster. Uh, it also depends on your coaching staff, uh, you know, depending on what schemes you run and what you're looking to do. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you really like uh, a certain position, if your coach is not going to you know, highlight that position in the scheme, whether offense or defense, 
you know, it doesn't really matter. So you have to be, first and foremost, be on the same page as your coaching staff. And, and then, you know, it's it's not, it's less about position and more about impact, I think. Uh, you know, if you feel like, okay, say the, the Dallas Cowboys, for example. Uh, you know, they, a couple of years ago, drafted Zeke, you know, what, four overall uh, and you know, five overall, whatever that was. And it, now it's looking like, I mean, the second contract was worse than the draft pick, I think, uh, in terms of how much they gave Zeke. But the pick was made at that point in time because Tony Romo had a year or two left and they wanted to go for it. Um, and Romo ended up getting hurt uh, that preseason. Dak Prescott comes in and the rest is history. But, you know, I can understand their thinking in that moment where it's, you know, Tony Romo looked like he had a year or two, maybe three years left. And, you know, Zeke was a plug and play running back. So you can go for it at that point where, uh, you know, there's other, uh, you know, it's, so I think it depends on where you are as a franchise in terms of competing, where, you know, like the, the Steelers last year, taking a running back, Najee Harris, in the first round. Ben Roethlisberger looked like he was done after last season, you know, after the 2020 season. So drafting a running back, just it looked like you were, uh, you know, just uh, I, I get why they did it. You wanted one more year. Uh, you know, you kind of prolonging the inevitable, it just, but it just didn't feel, feel like that was a, a formula to to go win for one year. So drafting a running back at that point, I, I don't know, just didn't make sense to me. Did it? I don't think that was the right decision to make. Uh, so I think it depends on where your team is, your roster is uh, in terms of competing, who's going to best impact your team short term, long term. And I, I think more the thing that I think a lot of fans get caught up in is a guy like Jamison Williams. Like, oh, you can't draft him top 15. He's not going to help you the first two months of the year. What about the next four and a half years? You know, like this is right. you're you're drafting not for week one, the season opener. You're drafting for uh, the next five years, and, and you know you're you're looking projecting to the future and all that. And sure, ideally, you'd love your your rookie to have mini camp and training camp to develop that chemistry uh, and, and go out there and get a head start. But that's just not always the case. So. Uh, interested based on what I just said, does that match up at all with what you think, or yeah. do you have different opinions there? Yeah, no, no, completely. I think I think there are some things where, you know, I think, and some of it just goes to, you know, the people who are my mentors in the league and and people that I their philosophy. I've taken a lot of parts of their philosophy. See, I'm a believer that you can find guards and centers, for example. Yeah. But I do think there are special guards like Quentin Nelson, for example, to me as a generational guard. He's a guy who changes the culture of a locker room. Quentin Nelson is a guy that I could see drafting inside the top five because he had rare stuff on the field, he had rare traits, and he had a rare mindset. So he he can change a culture. I think Kenyon Green is a guy that I would consider inside the top 12 picks as a guard because I think he is a body mover. He is big, physical, can play multiple positions. And I just think that in a year where it's not stacked at the top, Kenyon Green is a really good blocker. Like, he's just – he blocks well. He's a very good run blocker. And so I would consider a guard in Kenyon Green higher than maybe some other teams would consider guard. I think, um, you know, so I do have some rules about – like, if you're a zone scheme team, there's really no reason. This is why Linderbaum, I think, falls out of the first. Because mm -hmm. zone scheme teams, he's a perfect zone scheme fit, and I think he could be a Pro Bowl player. But there's a lot of general managers that have a philosophy, we can find guys – outside of the first we can take instead of Linderbaum and this player we could get you know um we could get Trent McDuffie and this center in round four who ends up becoming a starter for us so 
that game is also played. You've yeah, got to play the this guy and this guy instead of this guy and this guy. And I think some teams look at that, you know, with uh, like the Jets with, uh, you know, Robert Sala and where he comes from and his coaching background and, and corners. That's why I don't think Sauce Gardner is the pick at number four. Uh, it's just, you know, he, he I don't think that they necessarily see the value there. Um, yeah. And the cover which, three and quarters is not they don't value. Right. You can find guys. I mean, Lovey Smith, for example, trying to put a put a corner with him. Like Lovey typically believes that the defensive front creates help for the for the corners and so you don't have to have great corners that's how he was in Chicago but mm -hmm. but you look at how Bill Belichick was and Nick Casario if they think they've got a really good corner they may pull the trigger so I'm not I'm not sure which philosophy one's out there yeah and, and by the way I have heard more and more noise about sauce at number three uh to the to, to Houston being a, a viable situation they love Stingley I, they've done a lot of work talking to some sources they've done sauce. a tremendous amount of work on Stingley too sauce and Stingley I def those two names and then uh uh actually heard some wide receivers as well um so it's yeah Houston's Houston's interesting especially with that 13th pick uh okay I know you got to go uh pretty soon here but before we do I want to hit on some of these positions real quick and I, I want to try to kind of see if we can power rank these positions in terms of, and it's, it's a hard thing to do here in, in five minutes, but uh, because there's so much conversation in terms of depth, in terms of you know some of these positions being top heavy, but uh, I mean let's just start at the stop at the top. It's it, it's got to be pass rusher at, at number one, right? And it's not even close. Yeah, and, and, I mean and I don't even think it's close. Yeah. I look at it in three. So I wrote this article, Dane, and I think you have to look at three things. You look at star potential one, then you look at future starters like I look at that you know round two round three day two yeah. picks and then you look at overall depth of the group as a whole and so when those are the three factors for me if I introduce that to you as well there's no question edge is the position I don't even think it's close yeah I agree and and, and at every point in the draft I feel like you feel you know even in the fourth round you're going to like feel optimistic about the pass rushers that are still available for you so uh top to bottom I mean I, I agree with that 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 makes sense now Let's just, and we could do it in tiers too. The top tier is edge rusher. That second tier, this is where it gets interesting. I think wide receivers in the mix, linebacker is there, tackle, maybe corner. Uh, is there a definitive second position for you in this draft in terms of depth, in terms of best position? Yes, and let me explain this. I have to, I have to explain how this came about. So I had uh, our research department run the amount of draft picks uh, in the first round over the last five years at every position. The first round the second, third round, and then four through seven. So I look at league averages uh, over a five-year period, and this will surprise you a little bit, but it's completely subjective. I actually said safety, and here's why. I don't recall. I think this is a year that's very deep for safety. It's I've seen some real stinker years for safeties yep. in doing this, and so have you. When I look at Lewis Seen, Nick Cross, Jaquan Brisker, Brian Cook, even guys like – Tyson Anderson, Kyle Hamilton. I, I just I see a lot of guys who I think are going to become future starters. I know a lot of people like Jalen Petrie a lot. Mm -hmm. I think that is a really high number of safeties relative to what we usually see in terms of future starters. So I actually thought safety relative to that position in most years, this is as deep as I remember seeing it for guys who I thought were day one, day two type picks and future starters. Well, and, and that's a, it's a key word what you just said in terms of being relative to right. to, to past years. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. That, that's interesting. I mean, I I think my vote would go towards wide receiver, even though it is a little top heavy this year. I think like I think there is a drop off after 
Eh, probably somewhere in the third round. Um, but I, we could see as many as six, seven, eight receivers go first round. And some of that is with the way the league is trending. But I think part of it is also just the talent. And, name and your eight. In a perfect scenario, name your eight. I'm assuming it's Christian Watson and Jahan Dotson are the next two in. Yeah, I mean, obviously the seven, two eight. Ohio State guys, Drake London, Jamison Williams, uh, Traylon yeah. Burks, that's five. And then uh, John Dotson, I think, can get in there. Christian Watson. Uh, that'd be seven. That'd be seven. And then Sky? S- Sky Moore or George Pickens. Uh, one of those okay. two I don't think would be a huge surprise. Um, so I think Pickens goes deep. I think he goes later than most people think. My guess on Pickens, if I had to guess, Dane, I think Pickens is somewhere in the 40s and maybe even 50s. I'm not sure. Now, maybe you've talked to teams who have more love for him. I have not talked to people who have as much love for George Pickens. I, I think where it comes in is he's one of the few in this class that has true, uh, you know, like X traits. Like he could be, uh, after you get past the first wave, you know, the top tier receivers, he's one of the guys that at least has that that ability to be a, a number one. He shows some of that if he can mature, develop, get past it, you know, the, some of the injury stuff. Um, uh, let's, after, after uh, okay, you have safety, I have receiver. Uh, what, what about linebacker? Where's linebacker fall for you? In See, this, I've this got guy? linebacker really low. Really? See, I've I, got I, that, I like it. Yeah, what? see, I've got that third to last. I've got it okay. third to last. Now, I now this caveat also, this is a year where I think actually these positions are not that far. I think yeah. they're actually pretty close. Like, I think tight ends. I've got tight ends next to last because there's no star position. And right. yet I've, I'll readily tell you this is – I think Weidermeyer hurt the, the group a little bit with his workout. But I also think that this – and Isaiah Lively too, you know, has not right. worked out well. I think there's some injury stuff with a – with a tight end or two, but I also think this is a deep tight end year, so it's kind of tough. I think it's a, I think it's, I don't love the wide receiver group uh, as much as other people from a depth standpoint because I'm used to twenty and twenty one, incredible yeah. years, and like you said, I think it falls off after tier one, maybe tier one B, but linebackers, um, I think it's, I think it's good. I don't think it's great from a depth standpoint, but I'm also not as high on Muma and Anderson and some other people. And if you are high on them, then it really alters your opinion of the linebacker position. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, we're going to see uh, maybe double-digit linebackers in the first three rounds. And I think that, you know, you get a guy like Malcolm Rodriguez in the fourth or fifth round. Or, oh, it's uh, great. I love you know, Malcolm. Right, exactly. I, I think that it stretches a little bit. So that's why I, I have it rated a little bit higher. Well, well let me ask you this. What's, what's your last position? Uh it, I thought this was uh, my last position, and I thought it was actually um, it was pretty easy for me to come to it. It was interior defensive line. Yeah. Uh, beside Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, Travis Jones, once you get past them, it is like, ooh, man, it gets rough to get find an interior lineman. Yeah, I think Perry on Winfrey uh, gave me a little more optimism uh, with him at the Senior Bowl. But, I, yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's – it's hard pressed to feel uh, really optimistic about some of these guys. Um, I, I think where did tackle fall for you? Um, tackles fell about. Offensive tackle. Let's see, my tackle group fell. Let me pull this up. Sorry about the delay here. It was about in the middle. No, okay. it was not bad. I've got them at number. Let's see, I've got an edge, safety, interior O line, cornerback, and an offensive tackle. I just said tackle group features potential star power in Neil and Aquanu with both cross and pinning grabbing. 6.4 grades for me. I, I like Raymond okay. Now, like it with most years, Dane, the tackle group falls off quickly. That's like every year it happens. That if you don't get them in the first two rounds, you're in trouble. So I think it's not not great, great depth at that position. But I think actually the top end is decent. 
I think it's decent. Like, I'm a bigger fan of Raymond's. But we're also seeing guys, Logan Bruss will go down to guard. Right. Um, uh, Luke Gedeke is going to go from tackle to guard or even tackle to center. So one of the things we're starting to see is interior lines becoming more bolstered because more and more teams are taking tackles and bumping them in. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned interior offensive line too because it, it's, it, it's I think it's a top five position this year. Uh, I mean, I, I think I it too. has to be. I mean, it's, I've got a third. Yeah, I'm agree. Yeah. I'm in agreement. This is a good year for you know Tyler Smith. You probably see him as a guard. Is my guess. Uh, I mean, long term, I still think he can be a tackle. But yeah, if you're playing him any time in the next you know year or two, you're, you got to play him a guard, I think. So, uh, but I mean, center, uh, the third round centers this year are awesome. I mean, between uh, you know the Chattanooga kid, Luke Fortner. I mean, this this uh, this center class, uh, Parham, really good center class. Yeah, some some teams end up really like Zach Tom from Wake Forest. So it's it's a really good center class, and that's that's another thing that hurts Linderbaum in this whole thing. But Man, someone's gonna get a steal with Linderbaum in what the thirties? I mean, do you th- how, I how far so. do you think he falls? Do, do you think he? Could I think fall? he could fall. I, I'd have to see the the names of. Uh, let's see another team who needs a center. The Jets have two him. picks in the thirties. That, yeah, I could see. I could see Tyler Linderbaum falling to no later than maybe thirty eight with the Jets. Maybe yeah. Seattle at forty. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy. Uh, some team's gonna get just a tremendous value with him. Um, all right. Well, hey, I, we got to run. Quick episode today. Uh, appreciate uh, Lance from Boston Hotel uh, knocking this out. Shout out uh, to the wife for finishing Boston Marathon. What was That's the time? Here. Uh, it was over four hours, but she's got a really bad knee. Like she hey. qualified pre-pandemic and then developed a bone-on-bone knee issue. And I'm like, well, I guess she's done running. She's like, no, I qualified for Boston <laughs> back in 20. I will run the marathon. And to That's her awesome. credit, I mean, she she finished it up, and uh, I was really, really proud of her, man. She is a – she's tough. I would have tapped out in mile one. <laughs> no, that's uh, – you, you and me I both. know my limitations. Yeah, no kidding. No, good Will for not her. play her red flag. <laughs> I have too many injury red flags already. They're, they're taking me off the board, trust me. That's awesome. That, no, that, that's awesome to hear. Uh, yeah, congrats to her. Uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're a week away from the draft. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, be back with you next week. Uh, make sure to check out Lance at NFL.com. Uh, you know, check out my work, uh, my draft guide, seven-round mock up at The Athletic right now. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reviewing. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. This was The Athletic Football Show. Hey, baseball fans, this is Derek Van Riper. Now that spring training games are underway, opening day is just a few weeks away. Eno Saris and I have been getting ready for the season all winter on Rates and Barrels. Whether you're a seasoned fantasy player, a baseball stats junkie, or just someone who wants to learn more about the game, join us for four episodes each week this season, including our new Friday live stream with former big leaguer Trevor May. Check out the live stream on Fridays at 1 o'clock Eastern on the Rates and Barrels YouTube channel or listen to the show wherever you enjoy your podcasts, including the ad-free option on the Athletic app.